Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out our other coaching-focused podcasts, including the CoachMaze.com podcast, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Players Court, The Green Light, and Bleachers and Boards. We're also building our stable of NBA pods on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Cavaliers Central, Grizz and Grind, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Blazing the Path, Thunderous Applause, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's, NBA Breakdown, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, Spanning the Spurs, and the LA Hoops Pod. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, guys, Beyond the Ball podcast, back with another episode. Coach Klump, we have not talked in a few weeks. Took some time to recharge the batteries. What is going on? Yeah, recharging them, and this is our first pod of 2021. And for everybody listening, we are parading that 2021 is much, much better than 2020. So well, let's get it going. Yeah, absolutely. You say that, but like to me, 2020 – was still not completely awful, right? And so, yes, I and many condolences to anyone that lost a loved one, people that got sick, sports were canceled. And I think for me, at least, uh, my wife and I tried to have the conversation about our approach and our outlook and our, our level of gratitude for 2020, mm-hmm. that a lot of things, while a lot of things were terrible and, you know, maybe a disappointment, um 2020 still brought a lot of positivity at least to my family and so yeah we started uh with the new year um in a new way just trying to uh we do john i know you're a john gordon fan and so we do uh every one word one word yeah we do one word every new year's and um we do it as a family we have a big new year's eve dinner uh, we don't go out, we don't go to any parties or anything, but every person in the family kind of picks a word. And so we just kind of reflected on 2020 and we found that there was actually a lot of good out of yeah. 2020. Maybe so, some families got closer, able to connect, communicate, maybe some individuals created a new hobby, whatever. That, and like us, we, we, this was the brainstorm of, of this podcast came about during COVID. So, hey. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, but we're still in the same breath though, right? You're absolutely right. 2021, hopefully things get a little bit better. You know, vaccines are starting to be distributed. You know, some winter sports are starting to percolate. Um, Not everything just yet, but Mm -hmm. at least here in New York. So um, we're going to get there. I think we're going to get there. Power positivity, coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. So another good thing about 2020, we haven't talked is man the buffalo bills are rolling yeah so if you listen to this podcast you you know that we are huge bills fans i'm I'm sure a majority of our listeners are also huge bills fans and uh, it's the playoffs it is survive and advance and now we're down to eight teams four in each conference and to me it will be all about turnovers 
Yeah, turnovers is your thing. I I just hope they play well. You know, as a scar tissue filled Bills fan, I mm. just have so much anxiety. But I think everybody watching the game Saturday, and by the time people are hearing this, right, we're probably leading right up into the Super Bowl. So either we are, dare I say it, so oh. either we are riding high and people are listening to this and they're completely jacked up or we're, or we're wallowing in disappointment. So... We're gonna. We're definitely exploring the Bills, though. Yes, it's been a wonderful ride with this team, and how how amazing would it be if we got a Browns Bills AFC Championship? Two two franchises that have been um, scratching the surface for such a long time, and now they both got franchise quarterbacks and, and are starting to turn. And, and, and with America almost cheering for both teams, it's kind. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I actually, you know, we, we've talked about some of our former athletes mm-hmm. and one of mine playing on the Browns, J.C. Treader, which is going to be one of my 2021 goals is to maybe get him on here with us and talk a little bit awesome. during the offseason. No promises. He's a busy, busy man with all his responsibilities. But I texted him the other night and just said, man, I'm like, you need to win and the Bills need to win. So come next week you make it tough on me and I have to like split my allegiance mm. and knowing that I will never probably split my, I probably allegiance. wrote that right on his whiteboard. Coach Gersting <laughs> yeah. says need yeah, exactly. to win. I am the inspiration yeah, for the Cleveland the Browns. Like, yeah, I am the guy, but yeah, no. And I'm never like going to turn my back on the bills. If we're playing the no, Browns, no. it's bills all the way, but uh, I can't help but root for the Browns too. They, they're just like us, you know, yeah. the city's very similar to ours and the pain and suffering as sports fans, we felt is all kind of the same. So. Yeah, it's good. I'm ready. Um, hopefully, like we said, when this pod drops, um, we are, we're still going to be celebrating. But until now, you know what? 2020 has been good for the Buffalo Bills. It's been good Play for present. Western New York. So we're going to enjoy it. We're going to enjoy it for sure. Um, coaching Nuggets. Let's move this thing along. We got a great guest tonight. Got any words of wisdom for our athletes or coaches? Yeah, you listen? know what? Uh, I was, I'm flipping through a lot of my old notebooks and um, I wanted to share with our audience this one that I've always held deep with me um, from Don Meyer. I, I was had the good fortune of hearing Coach Don Meyer speak uh, at a coaching clinic and something that I circled and starred because at the time I was always searching for like the new defense or the new offense um, to put in and special plays that will always work. And he said something and I kind of sat back and I digested it and I'm, I was, you know, a lot of truth. And, and it just came into fruition for, for me and for my ball teams um, over the years. And he said he couldn't emphasize enough about player development. And he asked the question to the crowd. You know, when November comes around, would you rather have two new plays or two new players? And he was speaking about individual you spending your time and your energy connecting with them as a person and then improving their game. So I wanted to share that with the audience. I think that is something as a young coach, um, and I'm even writing it down as an old coach. Um, it's one of those things that I think we often uh, misunderstand as a coach is that you know we have the magic potion, right? right. That we're just gonna we're just gonna sprinkle the fairy dust on, and whoever walks through the gym is just gonna be able to play. And it's so right that the opportunity to just develop those athletes is probably the most important part of 
you know, the program development that you have within your team and within your system. I think I would probably piggyback on that and something that's been on my heart tonight. We haven't gotten to the verse yet, and you'll share that with us in a second. But in my reading this morning, I, I was in Matthew a little bit and, you know, the verse about asking you shall receive, knock and the door will be opened. Mm-hmm. It's just something that we were talking about with our one word. Um, my word for 2021 is action, like just take initiative and get it done. And I think that would be um, my coaching nugget for coaches and for athletes alike, you know, just take the initiative, you know, put something in your mind, think about, think on it a little bit, but don't spend too much time thinking on it. You got to at some point, you know, put the foot to the road and like get on your way. So I think that that's maybe my nugget. Yeah, the more time that individuals start thinking about these changes that they want to make, that's when the fear creeps in. And you can't fear, fear, fear is the mind killer and it'll, it'll stop us right in our tracks. Yeah, absolutely. The more you, the more you sit on something, the more you talk yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes um, the fear, I think I heard this the other day, the fear of doing something Oh, Sal said this on our last podcast. Yeah. Uh, Capaccio said the fear of doing something is way worse than actually doing the something. And after he said that, and I re-listened to the episode and then read that, um, that is by far, that had to be my 2021 yeah. word of just do it. And if it works out, great. And if not, retool, figure it out, but keep moving forward. Yeah, so. another like PGC um little plug here, as they always say, it's as simple as it sounds, is if you never ask, the answer is always going to be no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to you got to definitely knock uh and see if those doors will open. Kick it down. So, yeah, absolutely. So, since yeah. I kind of let us in there, what what kind of spiritual growth do you have for yeah, us? Yeah, so I was also in Matthew 2. It's probably you know, somebody some words that we all know it's 37 through 39 and, and just with everything going on this week, I was like, okay, you know, it was definitely brought to me for a reason. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And with everything going on um, this week, that that was all over what what I wanted to share with the audience. Yeah, whether it's political or social unrest, you know, that's been a very big conversation in my heart as well. And and in my family, in my household, just yeah. the idea that, you know, there's everybody has their own way of doing things. And uh, as my Sunday school class would like to say, because we've we've done this a couple of times in our Sunday school room, uh, don't judge. That's God's job. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the motto that hangs up in our Sunday school classroom. So, um, yeah, I love the, that verse. It is so true. Um, that we just need to respect other people's decisions, um, guide them where we can guide them, be a model for them to maybe seek some better understanding. Um, but we need to seek that understanding as well in ourselves. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, That's what such what a legacy care. will you leave when you're done, you know, yeah. the serving of others? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So coach, I think that's a great way to get started. I know our guest tonight, is Monique LeBlanc. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh, She's the head women's basketball coach at Brown, um, which is huge for us getting a little Ivy League school in here to talk about the journey. What do you think? 
We we ha- seem to have some Ivy League connections in this podcast, so yeah, let's we'll, get to it. We'll keep exploring those for sure. I can't wait for what she has to say. So we're going to break. We'll be right back. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spell A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, guys, we're back with Beyond the Ball and Coach Monique LeBlanc from Brown. Coach, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me tonight. Uh, This is super exciting, and uh, especially with the Ivy season being canceled this year, you know, any opportunity to talk hoops is really exciting. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast. And again, thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, reading and talking to you before we came on air, one thing that was really interesting is when your career ended, you spent a year in corporate America, and that was really what stoked the fire for you to come back into this this coaching environment. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I get asked about that because um, I, you know I do have that one year experience outside of you know the coaching world, and sometimes people ask, "Is there anything you know that you miss about it, or, or you know what made you make the switch?" And um, so. Yeah, I was working at Prudential Financial in New Jersey, and um, every day on my way to and from work, I passed this high school, Hanover Park High School, and it was literally, you know, half a mile from from uh, our work campus. And so I said to myself, well, I'm just going to stop in there one day um, after work and see if anybody's around and if they might let me come in and, and you know, help out at practice or, you know, just learn and, and watch and as luck would have it, the athletic director was still at school that day. And I asked him if he thought, you know, I could meet the, the girls coach and see if they need any help. And he said, we're actually hiring for a JV coach. Are you interested? So, I mean, it was just like so lucky and, and great timing. And um, so I, I became a JV coach on the side while I was working at Prudential. And it just became clear, like that was the part of my day that I was super fired up about. Mm-hmm. And I thought if I can make this a full-time gig, you know, I, I want to try that out. So, um, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. So coach, how did we get, end up from JV in, on the East coast to getting to Northern Arizona? Right. Okay. Seems so like an interesting, interesting <laughs> journey. Yeah, you bet. And I think like (laughs) coaching has the potential to do that. Um, So I remember talking to my college coach about thinking that I wanted to take this next step and, you know, become a college basketball coach. So I said like, well, here I am as a recent college grad and a current JV high school coach. You know, what are the next steps to becoming a full-time 
assistant coach at the division one level. And we talked it through and I said, honestly, I think my full, you know, my long-term goals is to be a head coach. And so, you know, we kind of noticed, well, every, every head coach seems to have a master's degree. I'm going to need that at some point. So maybe I can try to do that right away. And at the time, grad assistant positions were really prevalent, you know, more than they are now. There, there still are grad assistant positions at a lot of universities, um, but, but not all because now we have director of ops and, and different mm-hmm. positions yeah. like that. So um, I remember like, okay, I'll apply anywhere. I'll apply to a grad assistant job. And I think I, I remember applying like to like Eastern Illinois and, you know, lots of random places and different divisions. And I wasn't hearing anything back. And I thought, well, there's grad assistant chips in other parts of athletic departments. I'll just apply to all of those too. You know, I'm like, if I can just get into an athletic department, then maybe I can convince the basketball staff to let me hang around and just watch practice and, you know, be in the back of their meetings. And, you know, maybe, maybe that will lead to something. So I applied to like all these other random graduate assistant positions in athletics. And, um, I got, I got a call back for the graduate assistant job in compliance at Northern Arizona university. And my boss, her name, uh, at the time, Lila Aguirre, and now um, she's married, Lila Clary. She's now like, you know, the compliance officer at University of Iowa. She's, you know, she's really moved up. But at the time, she was my boss at Northern Arizona. And I was honest with her and said, like, I'm here to hopefully, you know, get a foot in the door with basketball. And I just want to be upfront about that. And she was like, as long as you do a great job, like, I have no problem with that. So come on. And so I Mm -hmm. went and again, as luck would have it, um, you know, the basket, the women's basketball team at Northern Arizona already had a graduate assistant, but after a year she moved up. And so that position opened and, and my boss, like I said, was really gracious and said, I know that's what you want. Go for it. So I, I got to slide over to the basketball GA spot and, um, and that's how the, the journey took me. Nice. And so was there any doubt at all being an East coast, an East coast girl that you were going to be making that move to the West coast or were you up for anything at that point? Yeah, I was totally up for it. And actually, right after I graduated from Bucknell, a good friend of mine and I uh, decided that we would like drive around the country before we started our jobs. And so we spent like the entire month of June. um, I think we were on the road for 33 days. So we left from my house in Rhode Island and uh, we ended up, you know, back in Rhode Island 33 days later. And um, you know, little over 10,000 miles. Yeah. We just drove around the country and, you know, that was in 2002. So I had a cell phone, but it was like pre smartphone for yeah. sure. You know, so yeah, it might've been my Zach Morris phone still yeah. at that point. So, <laughs> so, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, you probably got charged a ton per minute and all that, you know, I can't really recall, but I do know that we certainly weren't on the phone very much. And um, also we had an Atlas, you know, we, we didn't have GPS and stuff. So it was a blast and it, you know, really, I guess, gave me the travel bug. And I had actually, dri- we had driven through Arizona and Flagstaff in particular. So I actually remember thinking it was a really cool spot. So yeah, I was, I was ready to go. Yeah. I was just going to ask, we're looking at with my family, I have four young children as well. And we're, looking at making a drive to the West. So any like um, suggested places that like we should definitely go? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we, we should definitely um, connect prior to your trip. But, um, you know, if you notice, I've I worked at Northern Arizona on two different occasions, you know, mm-hmm. in two different positions. So um, there were in total four cross country drives for, for those two okay. different um, stints at NAU. So um, all of those times, my dad made the drive with me and we had a, a blast driving from like Arizona straight north, not on a main, not on a major interstate, kind of on a, a smaller highway and driving through all the national parks like Bryce, you know, National Park and um, the Grand Canyon. And, you know, we went all the way up into through Utah and into Montana. So definitely there's some some great places that you need to hit up out there. Yeah, that's so great. That's so great. So before we move on then with some other topics, I just, it, what are, and I know maybe you only spent one year on the uh, corporate side of life. Is there any similarities now that you've got some experience as a coach that you've brought to the table? I mean, I know there's not a lot of experience on that other side, but obviously there there must be some. Is there any similarities you see between you know, working in the corporate world versus running your own basketball programs? Yeah, I think there are definitely like some transferable skills. I think the ability to be a good communicator and and work, you know, in in a larger team. So even though uh, I coach the women's basketball team, you know, our department is another team and the university is another really big team. And so I think about my time at Prudential, I was on the valuation team, but we were just one of the, one of the teams amongst many there at the company. So, um, you know, communication skills are big everywhere and, um, working on, you know, being a good teammate, I think is, is critical in, in that world too. Um, and, and it's competitive, you know, it was definitely competitive at Prudential as well. So, uh, there were some similarities. You know, coach, we've had, um, professional football coaches on here, individuals that have gotten to the, the peak or the top of the game in, in the broadcasting industry. And, and their story sounds a lot the same. There's some similarities. Like you were just not going to take no for an answer. You were going to do whatever it takes, taking massive action, sending out um, resumes and calling and making sure that you were going to get that opportunity. And once you got it, what was your mindset there? Like you're just going to take that work ethic and, and apply it on the court? Yeah, I think for a long time, that was always my, my thing, like that was something I felt comfortable in is like, I don't mind working and I feel really confident that I can, you know, work or outwork with the best of people. And so early on, that was certainly something I hung my hat on. And, you know, even as a, as a player in college, um, you know, it, it's like this for most freshmen, you, you get to college and now you're, you're one of 15 people who were all the leading scorers on their high school teams and they were all, mm-hmm. you know, all county and all state and the rest of it. So suddenly, you know, you find yourself realizing how do I, how do I separate myself? You know, maybe this team doesn't need me to average 17 points a game. So, um, you know, that that's not my strength on this team. So like, what can I do to still get out there and, and have a role? So yeah, definitely early in my coaching career, that was something that I thought, well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll make more calls than all the other recruiting coordinators and, you know, whatever it might be. But, um, you know, then as not that work ethic can ever steer you wrong, but um, becoming a head coach really opened my eyes to 
all the other areas that I needed to be great at and that it was having a great work ethic, but being really smart with like how I dedicated that time and who I spent time talking to and learning from uh, and all the rest of it. Yeah, once you finally made your way to that seat where you're making most of the decisions as the head coach, um, what did you always put first as like some non-negotiables and what you wanted to your program to look like? Well, that in and of itself was a huge, um, I guess, like area that I had to learn. You know, I, I was literally just talking about this with a coaching friend today, another head coach in Division One in her first year. And we were talking about how when you're, you know, like the top assistant on a given staff and you feel like becoming a head coach is your next step, your mentors will say things to you like, start thinking like you're a head coach, you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, and, but honestly, that's really hard to do because you're not a head coach. You're the top assistant and you have some other like major responsibilities, right. mostly in a lot of times recruiting and being, you know, the, the top assistant when it comes to on court decisions and things like that. So it's really hard to think like a head coach because you have all these other responsibilities that you're trying to make sure you're doing a great job with and you just don't know yet what it means to be a head coach. So to your question about philosophy and things like I definitely didn't have that figured out. Um, but you know, as I was getting ready to interview, I, I sat down and really tried to think about what I think my philosophy as a head coach is. But I'll tell you those first, you know, probably five years of, of being a head coach really helped me shape what my philosophy is and, and to know what my non-negotiables are and, and what my, you know, recruiting philosophy is. So, um, you know, when we do non-negotiables, um, I like to involve the team in that. And so, because I think once they say like, that's their idea, now there's total buy-in that mm-hmm. it's coming from them. So, um, you know, some non-negotiables that, that our teams have had in the past couple of years. Well, it's, it's actually a really fun exercise to do with the team because we get into small groups and we brainstorm and they'll come up with things like, you know, like greatest of intentions, but they'll say like non-negotiables, um, never miss a box out. And I'm like, okay, hold on. (laughs) Non-negotiables have to be something that we know we can do every single repetition. And then they'll like look back at me like, yeah, we think we should never miss a box. I'm like, I mean, guys, amen. And and I wish that was possible, but like then every team would never miss a box out, you know? Um, So, you know, I really try to push them to kind of get, get down to the more controllable aspects. And so, um, you know, they come, they come up with some great ones, like one of our non-negotiables on defense. And, and I hope that we carried over to our team at Brown. I'm sure we will as coaches, we can give, give nudges during those exercises, sure. but, um, yeah. like is we have a great contest on every shot. And I think that's just like an effort thing that we know we can control. So, you know, and then we, we work to define that and we show video footage behind it, like in practice early on, is this a great contest? No, this is just like you turning around at me with your hand in the air, like, Oh, I had my hand high, but that's not good enough. And that's not how we define it. So, um, that's mm-hmm. a really fun exercise that, that I like doing with the team each year. So coach, I love the question from, from Eric about, you know, when you move over to that head seat, what was your journey to that head seat like? Because you did spend some time at Merrimack, 
which is a Division II school. How did you know that that was the right fit for you? We've had some other coaches on that were Division I assistants as well and have slid down to the D2 or D3 ranks yeah. uh, to be the head coach. So sometimes when you're an assistant, you know, you get one track mind, like I'm going mm-hmm. Division One head coach, and there's no deviation from that path. How did you know that that was the right path for you? Yeah, I mean – I sort of took the same approach that I did when I was a graduate assistant and said like an opportunity to be a head coach. I mean, there's not that many of them when you mm-hmm. think about it and to, to hang around and, and wait to be, you know, a D1 assistant that gets a D1 head coaching job. I mean, that's pretty rare and typically that's going to come from the power five schools. Um, so I thought, I mean, it would be amazing and it'd be an honor to be considered a head coach at any level in college basketball. So I applied to different levels, um, you know, and I had some interviews for some Division One jobs that maybe I thought would be a, a good fit um, with my experience. But they were interviews that ended with like, you know, great job. And, you know, we think you've got a good future in front of you, but you have no experience and, you know, you have no head coaching experience. Right. And so that was really telling to me and helpful to hear that, you know, that's something they're looking for. And I'm not going to get head coaching experience by being a division one assistant coach. So, um, you know, that really opened my eyes to other divisions. And like I said, like it became clear that being a head coach anywhere meant that somebody was taking a chance on me with no mm-hmm. head coaching experience. So um, I, I was going to take pretty much any offer I got. <laughs> right. And so just to follow up on that, so I'm just looking at your your career a little bit. And so we're going northeast to the southwest, back to the northeast. You know, how does that process work when you're, you said you're you're throwing out applications to a variety of jobs? How does that – like is there connections in there? Are there coaches – yeah, that's a great question. Giving you advice. Um, how does that how does that ultimately work? Because, I mean, technically, you're, you're concentrated in two regions of the country. I mean, there's so many other schools out there, but you seem to end up always landing in the same region. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So, um, you know, being in the Southwest, that, you know, provided opportunities to, to interview for positions out in that area because, you know, oh yeah, you're at Northern Arizona. Okay. Yep. And we could talk about different recruits I had pulled from those areas and, and our ranked recruiting classes and things. So usually when you're already in an area that, you know, makes it a little easier for someone to envision you as a candidate. But then in the Northeast, I had that tie of like, well, this is where I'm from. And, you know, this is where I played at Bucknell. And so then it was like, oh, okay. So you're kind of a Northeast person. So, you know, that definitely helped. I think if I was somebody that didn't have any Northeast connections, um, that probably would have made it a little bit more challenging. So now you land back in the East at Brown, all right? And with your first year, uh, there was a lot happening, wasn't it, Coach? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's really – this is actually really funny to a lot of people. Um, so, you know, with COVID – we haven't worked out in any capacity yet on the basketball court. Like the team, um, well, first of all, like there were, there was a de-densification program at Brown for people on campus. So it wasn't like freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors all reported to campus in the fall. It was only 
sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And even at that, a lot of people did choose to, to study remotely. So mm-hmm. we only had five players on campus in the fall, uh, fall semester, and now we'll have 10 on campus this semester. But regardless, um, we never got out of phase one. And, and to get to the basketball court, we had to be in phase two, which would allow like indoor activities. And so, you know, here I am, I'm eight months into my position at Brown. And um, people are like, have you even seen the basketball court yet? And I'm like, uh, funny enough, yes. Um, I've seen the basketball court because uh, my last year at Merrimack, we, we went division one. And so we played against Brown in the non-conference. So I'm like, believe it or not, my last and only time on this basketball court, I was coaching another school. Yeah. <laughs> Just not on the sideline that you wanted to be on. <laughs> right. So I'm really excited to, to get into that gym uh, on the proper sideline, as you just noted, and um, get to work with the players and things. But um, yeah, what a story. So this, this um, summer, tell us about what it was like trying to recruit in, in this environment. Yeah, it was definitely challenging. And, and I know that everybody in the country was going through it with the challenges. Uh, but something that really, you know, was different is so all of the, the rising seniors that we were talking to this summer and trying to potentially offer a spot on the team and, and get to commit to us at Brown you know, that's considered late in the recruiting process. So a lot of those rising seniors, they had already developed these relationships with a lot of other coaches at that point. And although we were division one at Merrimack, um, you know, the Ivy League is is a higher level of division one. And it's just a different pool of players that you're recruiting typically, you know, of student athletes that you're recruiting. So I felt a little bit like I was starting from scratch. There were, there were some players that I was really familiar with, you know, just, just on the recruiting trail, knowing of them. But in terms of building that much more meaningful relationship that you get to that point in the recruiting process where you're going to offer a kid and they're going to feel that connection with you, you know, we had a lot of ground to make up. So it felt kind of funny to be calling kids and you want to let them know that you're really serious about them. But you don't want to be like, hey, I'm, I'm Coach Moa Brown. Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, I want to offer you a scholarship. Or, you know, not a scholarship. Um, you know, at Brown, we, we don't have athletic scholarships. But, you know, essentially the same thing is I want to offer you a spot on our team. It feels kind of forward to do that, you know, so early in a conversation. So I think that challenge was unique for me just being um, new at Brown during this time. But, um, you know, we just tried to, to work hard to spend a lot of time on the phones and making up for lost time, getting to know kids and, um, you know, just, just hitting a hard going back to that work ethic thing. Yeah. So coach, when you're, when you are recruiting, like if we, if we were sitting in a living room, I have three daughters, um, of my own. And if you were trying to recruit one of them, what, what's your pitch to, to the girls now that you've moved up to this new level, obviously Brown has its own, you know, its own challenges, recruiting, being part of the Ivy League and high standards, I'm assuming to even come to school there. Right. So what are you what is what's your pitch to a recruit to to get them motivated to come to your school? Yeah, well, I think something that we really try to do in recruiting is identify players that like we know are going to be successful in our system, in our style of play, and that we feel confident that we can take them to the next level. So I think before like I even get in the living room, it's important that like we've established a really good connection where I understand that player's goals and, and aspirations for their four-year college period and that 
I feel really confident that I'm the right coach for them and we're the right style for them. And so once, once I feel that way, I, I think it's really easy to communicate like this is exactly like how we're going to utilize your skill set in our system. And this is how we're going to take you from this level to the next level and, and help you meet your goals. Um, so I think we, we really try to personalize it because as you noted, like, like Brown is Brown. I mean, it's an Ivy League school. It's one of the, the best universities in the world. So like that already kind of shows up without me. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is already understood. What can, you know, kind of, where can I really strike a chord with you on the basketball side of things to, um, you know, make you know that this is a, a great fit for you. And then you just mentioned you have three daughters and I have two daughters and, um, that has been, you know, really, um, life-changing for me too, to have my own children and like really now understand how much parents love their kids. You know, like I didn't get that till I had my own kids. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah, of course you love your kid. You know, that's, that's your kid. Um, but now I have my own kids and, and like, I just get that on another level. So I think hopefully, um, you know, letting parents know that like, I get it, I'm going to have your kid for four years and, and I'm going to take care of them. Like it's serious to me. Yeah, that's so great. So a question then, as you're getting some of these recruits on and trying to install that system that you were talking about, um, obviously with COVID, you guys are shut down for the entire season. Um, has that almost been a blessing for you? Like, have, would you have preferred to start like halfway through, like some of maybe these lower level um, conferences are? Or are you okay, like kind of just being done with this season and starting like with a fresh recruiting cycle? So I think the, the name of the game this whole time has been to remain flexible and open-minded. And so like anybody else early on, I was hopeful for improvements and that we'd be able to find a way to have a season because, you know, in the Ivy league different than every other conference, like our players have, pretty much eight semesters to, to get their degree and and get out. There's no saying like, Oh, well, you know what? I'll come back for a fifth year here at Brown. And one is, (laughs) you know, like I said before, there's not full scholarships. And so um, if people are paying for their education, they're certainly not looking to, to add another year onto that. Right. But um, that's just an Ivy league rule. So um, it's hard to know that like when our season was canceled, like our two seniors, at that moment, you know, they're realizing, wow, I've already played my last game yeah. in a brown uniform, you know, and that that's tough. So for that reason, you know, I think a lot of the coaches in the Ivy League were hopeful to have some sort of season. But as the fall went on, it became more and more clear that it wasn't going to be a good situation if we did have a season. You know, like I noted before, we weren't in the gym and we weren't working out at a high level. So you really start to do the math like okay, so we're supposed to play our first game February 1st, but everybody's home for the holidays and we come back, we quarantine, you know, geez, how much practice does that leave us? And and are we comfortable, you know, competing at a high level with, with such a short amount of preparation? Right. And the answer was no, you know? And so I think the right decision was made based off of all those factors and the timeline and things, um, but it was disappointing too. 
So, Coach, in all your travels and now you land at Brown, um, what are some things that you think are glaring in, in the changing of basketball? I like answering, asking these questions, and a lot of the answers are like small-sided games. Teams that push and transition are very difficult to guard. So in the women's game at a Division One level, what have you seen change in the last couple of years? Yeah, geez, that is a great question. Um, and I don't know if this is like – you know, I don't think it's only specific to women's basketball, but um, I think you're starting to see uh, a lot more like positionless type of play um, mm-hmm. or just like skill sets that are, uh, you know, constant throughout the positions. And so I'm not saying anybody's you know, using a 6'4 kid to bring the ball up the court, but they're not just relegating that 6'4 kid to the paint anymore. And mm-hmm. um, you're starting to see some of the trends like from the, your, you know, from the international game um, filter in in terms of I feel like when I was in college, it was almost always pick and roll. And now there's pick and pop and there's different different types of players that are coming off of those picks. And um, so I think that's been something that has has been um, certainly trending and. I would say even just like formations, you're seeing more four out, one in and and five out. And um, again, like you think over the years, how much there used to be like a a two two, uh, inside man sort of formation, uh, three out, two in sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely seeing a lot more of that in the women's game now. And when you, uh, you know, can finally get back on the court with the ladies, just knowing that and what you described for us, you know, when you're doing your player development, is everybody's pretty much doing the same thing? Yeah, um, exactly. And great question. So, yeah, like gone are the days where we say, okay, we're doing guard post breakdown because it used to be like, oh, well, our posts don't need to get shots up, but, you know, so they'll go do their thing you know, with, with the post coach and, and all the guards will get their shots up and work on driving to the basket. And now it's like, we want our posts working on those skills too. And so, um, and we want our guards good at finishing around the rim too. So we don't just want our posts working on the mic and drill, you know, we want everybody doing that. So mm-hmm. now, um, you know, there's, there's less of that like old school position breakdown because we want everybody to have that skill set and get those reps. So, Coach, speaking of, and, we're, and we won't dive too far into your playbook here. I don't want to necessarily give anything away. But so when you move to Miramac to, to Brown, are you changing and adapting your, your philosophy? Well, not necessarily your philosophy, but maybe your playbook to, to match the teams you're going to play? Or are you pretty grounded in what you do and what you teach is what you do? Yeah, you guys have awesome questions. Um, that's a good one. Um, I think it's important to like know who you are and know what you're good at teaching as a coach and at the same time to remain open-minded and growth-minded. So I, I would like to say that's where I'm at. So I feel really comfortable and, and you know, uh, this isn't giving anything away. If any of the Ivy League coaches look at the last few years at Merrimack, they're going to see that, you know, we're pretty much a zone defensive team. And by the way, I'm like a total zone convert. And I used to be a, a man-to-man person my whole career. But um, so we share a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yes, you do. I know all too well about your zone coach. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more about that one. But oh, goodness. Um, 
So yeah, like, you know, we definitely plan to install that uh, with the team at Brown. And I, I think it's a way for us to be a little bit different in the league. So I'm excited about that. But when we were unsure if we were having a season and if we were only going to have a few weeks to prepare, I was definitely having the conversation with my assistant, like, can we teach this? I mean, we're, we're new to these players. So it's not like we have like 75% of our team that already understands our zone defense and we're just teaching the freshmen. Can we teach our entire team this defense in three weeks or should we like scrap it for a year and go, man? I mean, those were the type of conversations we were having and not that man's easier to teach. I mean, there's a ton of rotations, a ton of ball screen coverages. So we, right. we felt really stuck on like, okay, if we've got three weeks to prepare with a new squad and new coaches, like what are we going to be doing? But yeah, we plan to, we plan to bring the zone over and offensively, I, I certainly have an idea of how we'd like to play and, and some different principles that we want to recruit to, um, you know, in our offense. But at the same time, I want to make sure that we're, really aware of our strengths with the personnel on our roster and that we're, we're coming up with an offense that's going to highlight those strengths. Yeah. So coach, I think one of the big things with what you said, and I love it. And we appreciate you saying that about yeah, for sure. quality, quality questions because we have had during this time of COVID so many zoom calls and so many coaches clinics. Yeah. It's almost like paralysis by analysis. <laughs> you know, even at the high school level, coach and I would consider ourselves pretty, pretty passionate basketball minds. Like we coach at the high school level, but we're constantly like discussing different strategies, you know, yes. um, defenses, but at the high school level, even, you know, your talent pool gets a little bit smaller and smaller and we want to do all this crazy stuff, but you know, then you're then your freshman, your fourteen year olds walk in the gym and you realize, you know, you're probably not gonna be able to run five or six ball screen coverages. So right. um have you found that in this time off or what has your approach been to that throughout your entire career, not just necessarily during the last nine months? Yeah, totally. I mean, when you said paralysis by analysis, I, I could really relate to that. Um, and so, you know, kind of this could kind of answer a question that you asked earlier about, you know, trends in the game. And I think like we have a lot more access to analytics and statistics and different data analysis, yes. lineup analysis. And I love all that stuff. You know, I, I was a math major in college. I just love numbers and, and love math and studying data. So, um, for me, like, I love it. And I feel like the more, the better, but then to your point, <laughs> paralysis by analysis. So I try to keep that in check, but, um, I think that it's important to mix up like your professional development opportunities. And so, um, when COVID first hit, I was still employed at Merrimack. And so my staff and I at Merrimack, we decided like, okay, we can't be training our team right now and we can't go on the road recruiting. So let's, let's go even deeper than we typically do in the off season with evaluating our own team. So, you know, it's really easy to see some statistics, um, like it would tell you, you know, we could look at a shot chart and see that, you know, okay, well, we scored really well in these areas and we could let that tell the story, but we were like, okay, let's be more specific. Like what types of cuts led to the types of drives that got us these points at the rim, you know, or led to defensive rotations that allowed us to get a dump down and get this shot at the rim. And then we really stu uh, studied our turnovers because, you know, I think we turned the ball over like 15 times a game and that's not terrible, but like if we can get 
two or three more possessions. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So how can we get two or three more possessions by, you know, eliminating turnovers? And um, so that was really fun to do because while doing that, you know, you'd see other things and learn and learn more. And we each kind of took different categories. So everybody had the chance to present their findings. And, um, and that was really fun. But, you know, now I think about like, I like finding other people, whether it's like a high school soccer coach or a college rugby coach, like other people who are really great at what they do and who really excel in what they're doing. And I want to know what are the small things that they're doing that we could maybe bring over to our program and give us that like 1% edge. So I love to learn as much as I can. And while I'm doing that, like I remember I was at the final four, I don't know, like eight years ago, and I was listening to a coach do an on-court presentation about a 3-2 matchup zone. And I'm sitting there thinking like, this is cool, but I don't picture myself teaching this. Like not right after hearing this, you know, I have way too many more questions. I wouldn't feel confident installing it because I want to be able to answer like, what do we do when this cut happens? And um, so it's like important to, I love learning all these new things and then to evaluate like, is this something I think I would be good at teaching? Yeah, I think um, for me, being here in the Western New York area, we have the pleasure of being with UB. UB is right down the road for us. Yeah. And Nate Oates, who's at Alabama Mm -hmm. uh, now with the men's program at Alabama, who just beat Kentucky last night by like 20 points. Um, I've been to some clinics with him and just some team practices. And he would say all the time, you know, he takes his entire staff every offseason to some NBA um, teams and meets with NBA teams just to like have those NBA concepts in. Yeah. And I just think that's so powerful. Like his whole mission statement is to get guys that want to get to the league and win with those guys. So he goes out and finds those um, values and how to develop his players into that. Right. And it's paid off for him. It's a lot like what you just said, but yeah. yeah well, speaking of having a connection to, um, you know, some, some of the pros and other programs, um, Brad Stevens is one of my favorites. And of course, you know, we're in New England and naturally Mm -hmm. a Celtics fan, but I couldn't have been more thrilled when, when he became the coach because I really love his coaching style. And he's also a big analytics guy. Um, I I just like his, the way he, he thinks the game and teaches it. So I was fortunate enough to go to, to one of their practices. And this was several years ago when Kelly Olenek was still with the team and they were working on, you know, some side out situations toward the end of practice. And there were some great plays that he drew up. And like one of them, we've scored some pretty important points off of, you know, in game situations of our own. And, you know, like I'll pull it out of my folder and it's like, this is, this play is called Celtics or it's called, Mm -hmm. you know, Boston, whatever. And, um, you know, it it was a a play where he basically got Kelly Olenek as a five man open for a three. And anyhow, um, you know, I continue to, to love finding those different coaches where you feel like, you can pull things from them. And I mean, there's so many out there. Yeah. So coach, um, you know, we're going to be wrapping up here soon and thanks for coming on. This has been wonderful. I just, we just want to um, wrap it up with a question about how someone in, in a position, uh, a fresh division one coach, how are you finding that rhythm and balance in your life? Of uh, You know, you got young kids um, that are there and maybe this is different because they're not seeing your coach. Um, how are you finding that rhythm and balance between basketball and, and your family right now? 
Yeah. So probably a lot of people feel like, you know, they're getting a lot of extra family time right now. Yeah. It's, it's actually been amazing. Um, you know, it's really been honestly a gift, but, um, when things, you know, as we typically know them, that was definitely something I struggled with early on in, in being a mom, um, you know, and kind of transitioning from being that coach that's just like always available for everything at every time and, you know, can can go on the road as many nights as I need recruiting to, you know, kind of changing, you know, what, what my priorities are with that and wanting to find that balance of, you know, I'm still the head coach and I need to to do these things and do them well. And I think that, um, you know, it, it was a, a combination of a few things. Um, one is uh, I, I had to be more efficient and I had to find ways to to work harder uh, during the times I was in the office. And um, I started closing my door a little bit more and I'm not like a close the door person at all, but I would say like, all right, I need two hours kind of uninterrupted. So I'm, I tell my assistants, you know, I'm, I'm closing my door. If anybody needs me, I'm here, you know, by no means am I trying to say like, you know, I'm unavailable, but I'm, I'm just not available for, you know, maybe the coach that's going to walk down the hall and want to shoot the breeze for a second. Um, mm-hmm. So just finding ways to be more efficient um, during those pockets. And, um, and the other part was getting more comfortable with like that being part of my identity now, like, like I'm a mom too. So, um, you know, the kids coming into a Saturday practice and, um, you know, bopping around on the sidelines, like, you know, the younger head coach in me, would have thought like, well, I don't want that to be a distraction to my team. But um, the wiser, uh, I hope a little bit wiser head coach in me um, knows that that's a strength. And and for my team to see that, you know, I'm a a regular person and um, that's a good thing for them too. So um, I I feel a lot more comfortable balancing that and prioritizing both and and making it work. But I do think it's super important to, um, you know, have things that you like doing that recharge your batteries and, and to make time for that. And it's hard to do. Easier said than done, but I do think it's important. Coach, I think the one thing you just said about your kids bopping in the gym, that is something that I I would agree. When I first had my children and they were able to walk and move around, um, it took me some time to let them in the gym too. Um, But what you find out, I I feel, what you find out is that your kids are always watching you, right? And so when you're leading that team – they're also kind of picking up on what your expectations are, um, and they they kind of adapt to those. I my son in particular is twelve now, and yep. he's been he's been at practice with me for going on seven years now. So when I'm coaching his team, he kind of already knows the expectation a little bit, um, and it's such a cool thing to have them in the gym. It it well. really is, you know. It's it's so great, and and they're so proud too. They're so proud of you as a coach, and you know, I didn't right. know that till you know my five year old started telling people, you know, mama's a coach and, you know, just right. the way she says it's awesome. so adorable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So coach, I'm going to finish up with this last one and then, and then we'll let you go. We're so ha- how gracious that you have given us so much time. So did I see this right? You're originally from Rhode Island and you're back in Rhode Island. That's correct. So is all your family and stuff like around, like, are you around like, your family a lot or how does that work? Yeah. So, um, my, my parents still each live in Cumberland, which is where I grew up. And, um, I have two sisters and, uh, my one sister, Michelle lives in Uxbridge, Mass, which is right over the Rhode Island border. And, um, we're actually moving in, uh, next door to her. So it's going to be pretty cool for the kids with their cousins, you know, right Mm -hmm. there. Um, so as we're moving back down here, we, we, 
we landed there in her neighborhood, which is great. And that's like 25 minutes from Cumberland where I grew up and it's about half an hour from Brown. So it's all like pretty close by. And my other sister and her husband and kids uh, live in North Carolina now, but you know, we're kind of at every turn trying to convince them to come back up here. So <laughs> still yeah, working no, on it. I just, I just saw that as I was doing a little research on you and coach, coach and I both live in the same communities where we went to high school and our families are at all of our games. That's mm-hmm. so and fun. We, and we just know how special that is to have our kids and our nieces and nephews there and our mom and our dad. So yes. I think that's a pretty special thing for you as well. Absolutely. It's, it, it's really special to be home. Yeah, that's great. So, Coach, listen, we're going to wrap up. We are very, very thankful that you were able to come on and chat with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, this was awesome. Uh, I had a great time. Thanks for inviting me on and, and letting me talk basketball with you guys. Um, definitely would love to stay in touch and, and follow up anytime and, and continue to talk about cool stuff that we're seeing. Absolutely, Coach. Thanks for coming on. It was awesome. Maybe maybe next time we'll get into a little Bills Patriots trash talk. <laughs> the next time you come on. We didn't approach that subject, but maybe next time. So. I mean, that was really, you know, beyond gracious of you guys because you, you could have had a field day there. We could have, yeah. We, we could have, but you know, we're we're trying to ease into this uh this winning thing and be on the gracious. If it was normal if we yeah. were normal Bills Mafia, we would have totally not um, been so nice about it. Well, my dad was telling me that, um, so, so Gillette stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts is like 20 minutes from, from Cumberland. So he was, um, and it's on this route one. And so he was headed up there in that direction. Um, you know, he had to go to a, a Lowe's up there or something like that. And he said, as he's like driving by Gillette, he noticed like a ton of cars in the stadium tailgating. And he was like, the Patriots didn't allow fans today, did they? You know, like what's going on? And, you know, he, he turned on uh, Sport Talk Radio and, and found out that like Bill's Mafia just traveled to just tailgate outside the stadium. Like <laughs> that's yeah. it. <laughs> and, I, and I believe. And they got a billboard there too now. Yeah, yes. Oh my God. That was messed up. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I know I got some friends that made that trip. It's about a seven hour drive, yep. six hour drive. And they made that trip to to snap a selfie. I'm like, you guys are need to get a job, I think is what I told them. So <laughs> that's they got way too much time on their hands to drive to, to drive to Boston and get a picture. But, oh, you got to love uh, the fan base and the pride. You know, I, I certainly respect that. Yeah, absolutely. So great coach. We're going to let you go. Thank you so much. If you need anything, give us a call. Same thing. Um, it was my pleasure and, um, you know, best to you and, and please feel free to stay in touch. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 